Welcome to the podcast, Yarning Up About STEM. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands in which this podcast was recorded and the lands of where listeners are tuning in from. My name is Ren Perkins. I'm a Kondamooka man and Indigenous Postdoctoral Fellow at the University of Queensland. This podcast is part of a project called Big Mob STEM It Up, which informs Australia's Women in STEM Ambassador and the Pathway to Diversity in STEM Review. Listen to mob who are trailblazing in diverse STEM fields. I'd like to start off with acknowledging that today we're on Turrbal and Yagara country and I pay my respects to the traditional owners of this country and acknowledge their elders past and present. So today I'm here with Cohen Hurd. Cohen, can you please share with us who you are and who is your mob and where are you from? Good to be here, in. Yeah, so I'm Cohen. I'm a Trawway Pakana from the northeast of Lutruida, Tasmania. Uh, my family's Briggs and Herp, so down from Dolly and Manalagena. So I live on uh, Yuggera land, a bit down south. Been here at UQ for a long time, done my whole undergrad through science here and postgrad too. So Cohen, what is your current role? And you mentioned where you, where you are, but uh, just again, if where you're currently working. Yes, yeah, so I currently work in the, the new School of the Environment um, in the Faculty of Science here. The role I'm in, it's an identified position through the PhD Pathways program. I was kind of halfway through my PhD and saw that opportunity to apply, so I thought I'd grab it, and it, it sticks um, mob up at level A, I guess, in in the faculty and so I'm kind of finishing the rest of my PhD uh, and transitioning into academia, academic life after that. Are you in an identified role? Yeah, so I think that um, that Pathways project is just for MOB. I guess it's a, a commendable goal to increase representation in, in STEM. So how does your role draw on STEM skills? It's interesting, and I think everyone going through that program will have different experiences, but for me, I've very much still been focusing on my PhD um, because that's a full-time job in itself. It's very hard, and it's a lot of extra pressure to ask uh, academics to fulfil their PhD full-time as well as another kind of job alongside it. So I've really just been elevating my teaching. I used to do a lot of volunteering throughout my PhD, so I've been in this role, really stepping up into different teaching roles and getting training and experience of how to, I guess, be an academic after that. But it's kind of, I've been finding it to be a bit of a double-edged kind of thing because it takes away a lot of the time to do your PhD. Yes. Yeah, it saps you. But the other thing that, you know, and this, I don't know if it's a discipline-specific thing, but the sort of career trajectory that most people would take in the sciences is that you'd work a lot of postdocs after your PhD. Yep. Uh, and in those years, you build a lot of experience, connections, relationships that would then set, set you up into an academic role. So I've been interested in this transition into academia where I've essentially skipped the postdoc stage which is you know, great for getting more mob into science, which I think we absolutely need, but it does leave this question of, you know, well, there's a lot of imposter syndrome around it too, like, oh, everyone sure. else has got so much more experience mm. at the same level. But 
yeah, it's interesting. So how do you see STEM used in your family and community? I think science is an integral part of culture. It's um, interesting when we talk about STEM, I think there's different kinds of sciences. The science that happens at universities is really built on one kind of um, science that stems from a place, places of thinking that come out of Western philosophies. Yes. You know, science is nothing new to, to mob. And there's, you know, a lot of the stories and knowledge that, like my community have, are from scientific practices. Right. And the definitions of what science is are not limited just to Western culture. It's, it's interesting being in this space because when you come up, you don't see your science reflected in the curriculum or in the research that we do as well. It's got to really change. How is your education experience in preparing you for your STEM career? Yeah, well, it was a Bachelor of Science in this place, which I would kind of provocate as being a Bachelor of Western Science. So it's an incredibly Western, um, taught in you know, Latin, English. comes from that place of the, of the Enlightenment, you know, scientific revolution, Western thought, objective thinking. That's the kind of education we get drilled down to us, and, and that is my education. And I feel like a lot of my experience as an Indigenous PhD candidate has been just as much unlearning as learning. While I'm trying to build the tools to succeed as a scientist in this place, you really are always questioning your epistemologies, your methodologies, and, and yourself, and your ethics, and your language, and, and how you think about it. A lot of, I don't know, how you think what you know is at odds with what you're doing and science and how it's done today is really at odds with a lot of I guess ways that we might think about the world and do things as um, blackfellas. What about your schooling you know, at school how did that you know, help prepare you? Yeah I think it helps prepare you pretty well for that western that bachelor of science. Yes. Um, it sets you up you know that schooling system, but you don't question it when no. you're young. It's it's just it is how you how things are done. It's only later when you you start to I guess be able to think about education more critically, especially in science. Things aren't necessarily siloed off into many little discrete categories that are independent of each other. But I think blackfellow ways of thinking, you get that interrelated and transdisciplinary thought, and you know always picking up on things going on in other fields and mm. applying it to science and you see that relatedness and the relevance. Growing up, that education allowed me to excel in, in science in this place and the science that I do, I do really well. There isn't really any Indigenous science happening in a lot of these spaces and there's no opportunities for Indigenous science students to engage with Indigenous ways of thinking in science, especially at a high level. I don't think that education has prepared me to engage in the kind of science I'd like to do or I'd like to lead or develop. Talking about your STEM education, what have been the highlights? A, bi a big part of it is the curiosity and the understanding I think drives a lot of people in science um, who just love the world. But as a biological scientist, for me, it has been being able to connect with the natural world at a, at a deeper level than a lot of people might be privileged to um, engage. So I've done some conservation work helping out uh, endangered frogs, for example, and that might let you get to 
areas and see these these frogs before they might be going extinct, um, but also give you a hand to help them and, and connect with them and build relationships with the natural world. Yes. And yeah. For me, it's been it's been great to to connect with the natural world a lot because it helps you build that more relational way of engaging with the world rather than when your head's in the textbooks a lot mm. and you're, you're using the English language in your science and it's objectifying everything, this rock, that frog, as um, separate or underneath humans. Um, you kind of, that, that can rub off. So you need to actually get out and remind yourself that you're a part of it all. Well, I, th- I think that's a strength that we bring and you bring is that, that relational quality to country when mm. when you're working on country especially in your role Cohen it's a big issue that I've been facing in teaching and research in the space is that people don't understand they're working on country they don't understand that the natural world is inseparable from the spiritual and the human on indigenous lands and so people don't engage with country they'll engage with the object the rock the plant the yeah. animal and there are animal ethics tied up in that there's plant ethics but the human ethics isn't there either. And so part of, I guess, what we would see as Indigenous peoples is that there's Indigenous and environmental rights tied up in everything we do that scientists don't engage with. So the challenge for me, especially working under other re- under the contemporary research paradigm and under other scientists who don't engage with these things, is actually that you can perpetuate harm or even perpetuate colonialism by just... Um, being, I guess, in a way assimilated under science programs today. So there is a critical need to develop new ways, new ethical ways of doing science on country, with country. Did your formal STEM education clash in any way with your culture or beliefs? It clashes in big ways. A lot of the time there's not things that are inherently wrong per se about different Western objective philosophies. different lenses on viewing reality or realities. My beliefs, personally, you don't see them reflected in the foundations of science or the philosophy or what underpins uh, what you do. And as Indigenous scientists, because we don't have a hold on how science really is done at universities, we're constantly questioned about the philosophies of, well, why would you want to bring in that methodology? It's not empirical. It's... Why would you have a relational... Why would you want to go and talk to the trees before your research or something like that? Um, That's not scientific. There's all these big clashes and we're constantly expected to explain why, why, why and justify our epistemological and ontological positions, whereas the dominant ways of doing science and the scientists who have been doing it, you know, since colonisation, they're never questioned and they're not expected to explain why they would do things from an objectivist point of view when you know you might be able to reasonably argue that scientific objectivity is a myth um, as as many philosophers do and have we have that extra level of having to justify Mm. the the ways and how we go about doing our research especially from a stem perspective yeah as you mentioned I, i would point out on that and something i've been leaning into a bit more recently is um trying to contest this idea that we have to justify if we want to simulate under the dominant paradigm of how science is done, it helps to justify and engage in respectability politics. But I think that there is a critical space for Indigenous science to build its own paradigm. 
that says well, we, we don't have to actually justify. Cohen, who and what inspired you the most in your career journey? The early days, a lot of the, a lot of the classic scientists inspired me and people with a passion for nature that get, that get pushed through the media and that's changed a lot over the years. So I used to look up to um, you know, people like Charles Darwin and all of their great work <laughs> yes. back in the day because that's the dominant narrative that's yes. pushed. It's not till later when you learn actually he was on our country down in Tassie at some point celebrating the fact that all my ancestors were on the mission offshore because now the scientists could go off and document the natural world uninterrupted by the black savages and you know all the scientists the joseph banks of the world collected the heads of my ancestors and you you learn all this stuff a bit later when you get start to get a bit more critical and so the heroes of science really change and we still got paintings up of charles darwin and he's in sandstone in front of our building we've got james cook and all of the mob in the endeavor their paintings are up and all their paintings of fishes are up on the walls and they're all still idolized by a lot of settlers but and celebrated celebrated but for mob we, we know the other history attached to that and the, the history of colonization that went along scientific pursuit it still happens today and i think a lot of that history is not known still by the broader public absolutely not especially by scientists where you would think these are the people who should know. <laughs> yeah, if you're talking about being objective. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. And so I think a lot of the time as mob, we don't have the luxury of being objective too because our voices have been excluded for so long that how can we do you know, systematic reviews of science when we're not in the conversation to begin with? What barriers did you face as you pursued STEM? Yeah, I faced some barriers a lot of, a lot of people do, I guess, financial coming from yeah low income uh, mental health uh, so many students especially those who choose to pursue postgrad face a lot of struggles that i think stem from the the culture of academia the struggles that i face today are becoming more unique more ideological um, more how do i continue how where do i position myself from those are new new struggles and very different to the struggles i've faced early and earlier days in STEM. How do you think you could have been better supported through the challenges? Having black supervisors mm-hmm. would have been great. You need people who, who get it you, and you need people in, in, your, um, in your space. You going through and, and others like you, you know, within that academic space mm. are going to be those black supervisors for, for young people coming through, our mob coming through STEM. Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest drivers for me to stay in, in this space because uh, I often question, like, oh, there was a point where I said I wouldn't continue in STEM just because of the tensions. I suppose part of what drives me to keep going, at least for now, is, yeah, that idea that, well, there, there might be a way to, to make it because you see the mob who are coming up and you're like, you know, maybe I could make your experience a lot, a lot better than mine. Yeah. But it's hard too because we want to build an indigenous space in the sciences, but our ways of thinking and our sciences aren't respected at the highest level. Like we can't be publishing in these nature journals in science, like they don't respect our methodologies. And we haven't established a lot of good indigenous 
research paradigms in the so-called hard sciences. So there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, certainly just more mob in that space. Who are switched onto it, I think, um, because it's very easy to just kind of, uh, I don't know, assimilate and, and run with the status quo and do science how it's always been done yep. and kind of just perpetuate that same system. How would you describe your recruitment into your current STEM career? It seemed to me like it was coming from an equity standpoint of just getting uh, more black faces. A keynote I recently listened to online was Chelsea Watergo's at Lowitcher conference. Yes. Talking about foregrounding sovereignty rather than equity um, in a lot of what we do because I, I and I, I think a lot of it resonated with, with me, um, especially sitting on like as a fly on the wall of the Faculty of Science uh, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion Committee. I'm glad, you know, I think it's a good thing to get more mob in science, but the the space is not good for for us. It's very racist and it, it comes from a Western Western ideologies and a, a lot of history that has not been reconciled or addressed. Um, it's just, it's yeah, a bit harmful. There, there's violence there in that space. And I think it's been uh, spoken to a lot in maybe other disciplines, not so much in places like biology, um, physics, maths, whatever. Mm. It's places like you, we have, you know, I, I turn to other fields to look for, for guidance and, and pull out, well, what can we apply to building this space? Any insights as a fly on the wall on that committee? I'm very reluctant to deal with Indigenous underrepresentation in STEM as an equity issue. I don't think it is. I think there's good reasons why there's not many mob in these places. I think there are drivers from you know, racism. I think a lot of this stuff needs to be moved off that table and into the agenda or into a, a black agenda or an mm. indigenous agenda in, in the sciences. Indigenous spaces, indigenous leadership. That's where these discussions should be being had. I guess not by groups of well-meaning people who approach it from a base of equity mm. because you can mean all the good intentions in the world that that's not going to deliver, I think, what we need as a people in, in science. Yes. Carl, what have been the highlights of your STEM career to date? One of the biggest things is being out on on country and engaging. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I've been privileged enough to go out and engage with mob on country because mm. that's just one... That's just something like, you know, we've got to do as blackfellas is have that respect um, and go about it proper ways. And then seeing that good engagement, you know, as a, it's a bare minimum thing, but it was something I didn't realise that I'd missed through my whole undergrad, postgrad. I'd never seen good engagement. We've been taken, whole hundreds of students taken to sacred sites without permission, things like that. Like um. so many things that teachers get wrong going out under country. A lot of them go off to places of private ownership to get around the indigenous problem. That's crazy. <laughs> um, so, so actually, wrong. So actually just, yeah, with my own research saying, well, I'm interested in going out and doing this. Maybe I'll have a yarn with so-and-so and see if we can go out on their country and see how I can help them, how they can help me and engage in a reciprocal exchange and centre their rights and their sovereignty in the work I do. A li little things, but the results from that, like, it's really fulfilling. How have role models influenced your STEM career? A lot of what I thought I knew about getting more mob into STEM, yes, some of my role models have challenged a lot. Like I, I got 
um, indigenous role models all over the world in STEM. Yes. And a lot of them speak from a place of, well, why would we want to get more mob into a space that's so harmful? Maybe that is an end goal, but certainly there's a lot more to do along the way to create that space where mob want to come and where, where mob are safe. They're, they're a huge influence, yeah, on what I do and continually, like I'm always, always trying to learn from mob in all other fields as well who are going through similar issues. But yeah, it is so important to see, I guess, that, that black excellence um, and speaking up to, to power but yeah, too many role models to, to name. <laughs> yeah, There's, yeah they're, they're out there. Yeah. You mentioned that the role that you have. So how have Indigenous in, initiatives, um, either in education or career development, in STEM, influenced your career? You can argue about the place where these things come from, but at the end of the day, I feel like I wouldn't have the opportunity to make these changes if if those, say, identified roles didn't exist. I, I just hope that the place they come from in the future is something that will change. The program I've been involved in, just just getting more mob in, there's, there's issues with it, but we're here now and we're, we're causing some noise in STEM and, and things are going to start to change. But again, it seems to be this way all over the place where this happens and it's us who are doing the work to change it. You get in the blackfellas and then they're the ones who, who take on all that work and that's racist. We need, you know, the these so called allies to really step up yep. and shoulder the work as well and do it with us. Yeah, and that's come up in other interviews and in other areas that cultural taxation mm. on our mob where we're asked to take the whole load. Yeah. It's a real thing. And it's a problem in science, especially like the culture. Academics are so overworked. Mm. There's such a big burnout, issue with burnout, issue with time management, the pressure to publish or perish, this urgency culture, that academics are like, I don't have the time to do ethical engagement. I don't have, like, if I do that, I'll lose my career or I don't have the time to do this or that. And like, well, that's the luxury you have where you, you can choose not to. But for mob, we don't have that luxury. We have that extra cultural responsibility that this lot don't have. The project is about increasing Indigenous involvement in STEM. So in the goal of increasing Indigenous people's participation in all areas of STEM, what are some recommendations you have to achieve this goal? One of the biggest things is we need to build Indigenous spaces first and foremost, where we can foreground and set the scene of what it is that we want to build in STEM and not kind of not kind of let an equity agenda set it for us and say this is what we need, we just need more people or something like this. There's wheels in motion all around the place like the National Indigenous STEM Professional Network and yes. things like that being set up so the balls are rolling um, and we just got to say that this is what we, we want to happen, it needs to happen and we've got to make it happen now. There's going to be a lot, a lot to watch in that space of, of actually creating an indigenous research paradigm in science. It's an exciting new field, and it's not new at all, really. That agenda's been there for, for a Millennium. long time. So it's tapping back in into, yeah, into our science. You mentioned the network that that kind of initiative and an organisation would be supported by governments and by institutions. Mm 
to continue to grow and to continue to, I suppose, exert their influence. Yeah, I think it's, you know, and there does seem to be that buy-in, especially, you know, from institutions and that support. Um, you always have to be cautious as well of where you're getting your money from, what your responsibilities are, because a lot of the institutions ask something of you in return. Mm. They ask you to do this or that or that. I know that's the basis of reciprocity, but it's kind of a, an interesting relationship when you're trying to enter into a reciprocal relationship with a Western institution who doesn't even understand where you might be coming from um, as an Indigenous science collective. So, yeah, it's, in, it's interesting to, to think about, but... Don't try and get too political. <laughs> <laughs> the last question, Cohen, is as an Indigenous person in STEM, what advice would you offer to other Indigenous people interested in STEM? One of the biggest advice is to read Indigenous authors. If you're going to come into STEM from an academic perspective, you need to read Indigenous scientists um, and really get across where they're coming from it's it's okay to do Western science. I, I do Western science, and it's it's great. But there are other forms of science that are systematically excluded, and really important. Part of our responsibilities to be good ancestors, um, yeah, is to make sure that we're upholding our responsibilities, bringing our kin with us in what we do, and. That's hard to do if we just follow how science is done today. So we need to find new ways. Brother, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really insightful, just really encouraging to hear what you're doing and how you're addressing those challenges uh, within the academy, especially, you know, especially in science. And you know, we, we do need more of you. That's the challenge. But keep up the great work. As you said, when we were having a, a cup and a yarn before, you know, you, you can see the, the light at that end of that tunnel. Mm. So, you know, all the best. Keep moving forward, eh?